believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of miracles. I believe in you. I believe in you. You're the God of Hello and welcome to Living Courageously. The Bible says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us every kind of spiritual blessing. And that's our prayer for you this week, is that you will know how much you are loved by God, but that you will also know how much God has blessed you. And one of the ways God has blessed us here at the church is through the friendships that he has given us. And this week we had a chance to sit down with one of those friends. Let's take a look at what Sean Smith had to say about building bridges in today's world. Joining me now is Bay Area native and longtime friend of the Cathedral family, Sean Smith. He's the founder and president of Point Blank Ministries. And on a personal level, he's been a great source of inspiration and encouragement to me through the years. It's so great to have him with us. Sean, thanks so much for being here. Hey, kid, man, it's great to be with you. Love you and your family. It's, I was just thinking in the back of my mind, it's been over 20 years that we've had friendship. I think it's actually maybe even closer to 25, so it's, it's been awesome. Oh, it's, it's been a great journey, my friend, and uh, thanks again for, for making some space. Uh, Sean, now, when you were young, you experienced a tragedy in your family that to some degree parallels what's happened to the Floyd family recently. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yes. And, you know, it's so funny because when I saw the, the Floyd videotape, I, my mind immediately raced back. As a nine-year-old kid, my dad is, he was a, uh, he worked for IBM at the time and he's finishing a late night thing with his research and development group. He's driving down Stevens Creek Boulevard. And of course, this would be uh, back in the day with a little less developed than it is now. He sees the the siren, the cherry go off on the police car, pulls over the side of the road like everybody would. There were two police officers and a dog. And to uh, the, the testimony that, that passed in court, so there was a rendering that uh, it was racially motivated murder, was uh, when they demanded my, my dad get out of the car, one of the officers sprayed mace uh, in his eyes, and the coroner said, had he lived, he, it, he may have been blinded because of the amount they sprayed. Mm. Uh, uh, they demanded that my dad run. Uh, it was overheard by witnesses who were the same race as the police officers. They, they used, uh, racial slurs. They demanded my dad run. They had a dog. The dog chased, uh, my dad. And then, uh, the police officers, one particular empty rounds in his back. My dad was dead on arrival at a hospital. But from that point on, until I came to Christ, I struggled whenever I saw police officers. There, there would be this thing of, I don't know if I can trust them. Like, are you going to do the same thing to me? Sean, you mentioned about coming to know Christ. How did knowing Christ help you to find healing from that deep hurt? You know, it sounds simplistic, but, you know, I think the gospel, many times it's so powerful because it is. That agape love 
so overwhelming. It's like it began to go directly at the areas of hurt, pain, uh, anger, uh, disillusionment. Me harboring bitterness or anger is not going to bring my dad back. And, and it, it, it's not going to achieve justice if I didn't feel like justice was served. It's only going to affect me. But it felt hypocritical because I recognized that God was forgiving me so much and he, he, he saved me. I mean, I, I felt that love and I felt like that agape love segues into phileo love, which is agape's God kind of love and the phileo becomes brotherly love. When you really get impacted with the God kind of love, it flows like a river towards others. You, you actually have to uh, do something to hold back that love, which I think is very unnatural to, to the Spirit of the Lord's work in your heart. Well, Sean, given today's tension, are there any words of wisdom that you have for us that would help us to navigate this time? Yes. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is very huge in this time, particularly people of faith, is to understand what is our role here. And our role, the Bible says that we are ministers of reconciliation. So we are to be a bridge. Our job in this time are to be bridge builders. because. You, you either can be a, a catalyst or a catastrophe. And if we're a catalyst for, for change, we're, we're loving people. And, and the cool thing about God is that uh, the gospel doesn't suggest reconciliation. The gospel is reconciliation. Mm. That's what Jesus came to do and to be. And so I think it's very simple of just building a friend base with people that look different than you. Sean, I just want to thank you. Thanks so much for your time. You know, stay safe, stay strong. Uh, send my love to the family, and I hope to see you in person again soon, friend. Absolutely, Ken. You do the same to your beautiful family. Can't wait. Always love hanging out with you. And, uh, man, I, I feel like what looks like an interruptive storm will actually be a catapultive storm. I'm excited. I believe God will catapult us. Amen. Great days ahead. Here's some food for thought. The brain is about 2% of the body, but requires more than 20% of the body's energy to make it work. So you can burn hundreds of calories by watching, listening, and learning right now. Unfortunately, most of us miss out on key nutrients to keep the brain working at its best. So the brain slows down, leaving us fatigued, foggy, and frustrated. So listen, by simply adding healthy fats to your diet, you can take your brain power from slow to whoa, look out. In fact, learning anything new can increase your brain power. 
In Matthew 4.4, Jesus shows us how to tap into our brain power and take it to the next level of spiritual power. He's on a discovery wilderness walk and he's low on food for 40 days. There's voices in his head and there's temptation in his sight. And he realizes man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in the end, angels were sent to take care of him. So eat well, think on God's word, then feed on the glory that's revealed to you. This is Cathedral Strong on the Minute. Thanks, Pastor Romel. Cathedral Strong. That's what God's called us to in 2020, to be strong and courageous. And that means Cathedral Strong physically, Cathedral Strong emotionally, Cathedral Strong mentally, and of course, Cathedral Strong spiritually. Now, there's something that all these areas of being Cathedral Strong have in common. It has to do with knowing and doing. Knowing what the truth is, and then doing that truth. If we know how the body works, then we know how to take care of it. And likewise, it's the same thing spiritually. If we know the truth, then we know what to do. One of those spiritual truths for being spiritually strong are the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter six on the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. You can't worship God and money both. Here's what he's saying. Either you're centered around money or you're centered around God. And what happens so much in our culture right now is centering around money. Some of the issues about the virus, some of the issues of injustice, of enslavement, they centered around money and greed and worship of money. And here's the beautiful antidote that Paul gives us in the book of Ephesians. Here's what he writes. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You see, here's how God's plan works. You wanna break greed and worship of money? You do the opposite, you give. And that's what we do in this moment. We break the spirit of greed. We break the worship of money that controls so many things in our culture by giving. This is a moment of spiritual warfare. And you can see at the bottom of the screen, the number to text your gifts to. We'd love to have you join us in this moment of breaking that spirit of greed and that worship of money. Because the reality is money isn't evil. It's just the love of money, the worship of money, being centered in money. And in this moment of giving, we show that we're centered in God. You can also send your gifts to us here at the church by mailing them in, or you could drop by Monday through Friday between nine and five. You can visit our app or you can visit our website. This is a great moment of spiritual victory as we know the truth to center in God and we do the truth to give, breaking the spirit of greed. In fact, Jesus in that same passage says these words in Matthew chapter six. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In this moment of giving, we reveal where our treasure is, where our heart is, what we worship. We worship a giving, loving God. Let me speak God's blessing on you. Lord, thank you that your plan is always to respond in the opposite spirit. You bring light where there's darkness. You call us to bless those who curse us and you call us to give in face of greed. 
And in this moment when so many systemic things and issues in our culture are centered around greed, we gladly do spiritual warfare by giving generously. Receive these gifts and bless your people in this moment. Bless our community as we fight that warfare by giving generously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, Pastor Cedric's coming to remind us who we are. Hello, I'm a child of the one true king. Whoa, whoa, whoa. day of your life I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget hello my name is defeat I know you recognize me just when you think you can win I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all belief oh these are the and these are the lies and I have believed them for the very
42-year-old African-American seamstress finishes up work and she does what she normally does. She gets on public transit to make her way home. She's tired, but no more tired than normal. And she finds a seat about halfway back in the bus. Well, as more stops happen, the bus starts to fill up. And at one point, the driver asks her to give up her seat to a white man. She politely refused. She had made up her mind that what she was really tired of was giving in. And so she would not give up her seat. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal not to give up your seat. And yet that small step of faith by Rosa Parks ended up moving mountains. It led to boycotts, to court battles, and eventually the Supreme Court of the United States declared segregation unconstitutional. The one small step of faith that she took, looking back on that moment, she writes in her book, Quiet Strength. She said, when I sat down on the bus that day, I had no idea history was being made. I was only thinking of getting home but I had made up my mind after so many years of the mistreatment of my, that my people had suffered, not giving up my seat and whatever I had to face afterwards was not important. I did not feel any fear sitting there. I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. It was time for somebody to stand up or in my case, sit down. So I refused to move. One step of faith can end up moving mountains and altering the course of human history. And as we look at the current world that we have, our world seems to be shattered into a thousand pieces. And it's so easy for us to throw up our hands in despair and say, what can we do about it? but never underestimate the power of a seed. Jesus said, if you can have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. A small step of faith can take a broken world and make it a better world it all starts with understanding that racial tension is a part of our human condition. And that's why we find it not only in our culture, we find it in other cultures and we find it throughout history. All the way back in the first century, the biggest racial division there was was between two ethnic groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had been chosen by God so they could be a light to the Gentiles. But that promise and purpose turned to pride and the pride turned to prejudice and the prejudice showed up in the pen. And here's what they wrote. They wrote this, the best of serpents crush, the best of Gentiles kill. It was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth for that would bring another heathen into the world. Gentiles were created to be the fuel for the fires of hell. Racism 
It was there between Jews and Gentiles, and it cut both ways. Look all the way back to a first century race race riot. In the city of Caesarea, there lived 60,000 Gentiles and 20,000 Jews who were segregated away over in a ghetto. One day, a few young Gentiles decide that they're gonna go on a Sabbath and sacrifice a pig on the steps of the only synagogue in town. Today, we would call it a hate crime. Well, the Jewish people found out about it and they gave those guys a beat down. And then when the Gentiles complained to the, the occupiers about what had happened, the authorities, there was so much animosity between them that at the end of that day, every one of the 20,000 Jews in that city had been destroyed. Ethnic tension, hostility, animosity in the first century. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Can there be any hope with racial division built into the fabric of the human broken, sinful condition? I saw this one comic, Charlie Brown. Charlie goes to see Lucy and Lucy says, discouraged again, hey, Charlie Brown, you know what the trouble is? The whole trouble with you is that you're you. And Charlie Brown says, well, what in the world can I do about that? And Lucy says, well, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. All I do is point out the problem. Anybody can point out the problem. But that's the difference between a savior and a sociologist. In Jesus, we find someone who can bridge the divide. He is the savior who's the answer to our deepest need. In Ephesians, we read this about the work of Christ. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross and the cross got us to embrace and that was the end of the hostility. He treated us as equals and so he made us equals. Jesus is the one who comes and through his work, he bridges the divide. We see this in the way that he lived. He chooses 12 people to be on his team, 12 people who he would mentor. And two of those people, if they had met anywhere else outside of the presence of Jesus, they would have cut each other to pieces. They were from opposing political parties. They were from the far right and the far left. Here at the last supper table, you can see there is Simon the Zealot, he was a guerrilla fighter fighting against the Roman occupiers. And here is Matthew, a tax collector. He is profiting from the Roman occupation. There is no way in a million years you would find these two guys palling around together. And yet somehow the presence of Jesus bridges the divide and unites them as friends. And there they are at the table together, Jesus in his life and Jesus 
in his death. He died for all of us. First John chapter two says he gave his life to pay for our sins. But not only did he pay for our sins, he paid for the sins of the whole world. That means each of us have equal, eternal, innate value. Black and white, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, male and female, young and old. The death of Christ is the death of ageism and sexism and racism because he died for all of us. When I was a kid, we used to sing it this way in church. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. The work of Christ unites us. And that's why in the Bay Area, if we're going to bridge the divide, it really starts with a spiritual solution. It seems to me if you take God out of the equation, then you remove the foundation for equality. If there's no such thing as truth, but you have your truth, I have my truth, then we're all left up to our own whims and devices. The only real ethic that matters is survival of the fittest. As the philosopher Nietzsche put it, might makes right. And yet, instead of being the product of random chance, we add God back into the creation and we see that we are all created and therefore we are all related. The Bible says in Genesis chapter one, so God created human beings in his likeness. He created them to be like himself. He created them as male and female. Every human being is made in the image of God. And this is the most important thing about my identity. When I fill out a census and they ask me the question about, well, who are you? There's a box that says I'm a Caucasian. There's another box that says I'm male. There's another box that says I'm a U.S. citizen. But they're missing the most important box because the most important part of my identity is found in being a human being created in the image of God. And that's why, that's why we should treat everyone, black and white, male and female, rich and poor. Well, they have been made in the image of God. And that gives each life sacred dignity and respect. I brought a couple of glasses that we have at the house. One is a plastic cup and one is a crystal goblet. Now, the way we use this, the way we view it and the way we use it, we use it and then we smash it and then we trash it. That's the way we use that plastic cup. But the crystal goblet, if I trash this, heaven help me, Arthur, move over. I'm in the doghouse because this has great value. And so we treat it with respect. If we see each other as made in the image of God and we treat each other with great value, 
The foundation of our ethic is this, with God, there are no plastic cups. Every person is a crystal goblet, even in our broken, sinful condition. But Kim, where can I find the power to love this way? I want to, but where can I find that power? Again, it comes down to Jesus. Only Jesus has the power to change the human heart. I saw this comic and there's these three hearts and three lady hearts. And two of the ladies say, obviously that one had work done. Who can work on the human heart? Only Jesus has the power to take a heart that's full of hate and to fill it with love, to take a heart that is bitter and make it kind, to take a heart that is broken and make it whole, to take a heart that is proud and make it humble. See, pride is what divides us, but humility is what unites us. I mean, it's good. It's good to adjust the laws and make them more just. It's good to adjust our practices and make them more safe. But ultimately, only Jesus has the power to change the heart of the person who enforces those laws and obeys those laws. And if we'll bring our hearts to him, Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And when we allow Jesus to begin to transform our hearts, how do we see a broken world become a better world? It starts with me. If I want to see the miracle, I've got to be the miracle. My dad used to tell me a story and it was about a father who was in his study at home and he was trying to finish up a project at work. And his boy came in and said, dad, can we play? And the dad said, let me finish the project and then we'll play. But you know, kids, not much patience. A couple minutes later, he's in the office. Are you done yet? And so dad realizes if I'm going to make progress, I've got to change strategies. And so he tears a page out of a magazine and on one side, there's a map of the world. And so he tears it up into a few pieces, gives it to his son and says, go and finish the map of the world. And when you come back, then we'll go out and play. That should buy him some time, right? Well, to his surprise, a couple of minutes later, the boy comes back into the office. The puzzle is finished. And the dad says, how did you do that? And the boy, well, he says, I turned all of those pieces over and noticed that there was a picture of a man on the other side. And I knew if I would get the man right, then the world would be right. Exactly. How do we make a broken world a better world? If I want to see the miracle, it starts with me. I've got to be that miracle. I saw two stories recently in the news. And the first one had to do with a, a wide receiver for the Raiders. He's an African-American and he was shopping at a home goods store. And at some point, an elderly white lady walks up to him with tears in her eyes. And she says, I just want you to know that you matter. 
And in that moment, they broke all protocols and gave each other a hug. He was deeply moved by that encounter. And this is what he tweeted out about it. He said, beautiful hearts still exist. Be the example, be the light, love others. The second story comes from the Midwest where a white police officer is having breakfast and he receives a note from the waitress that was sent to him from two black ladies that were across the diner. And he opens the note and he reads it. And this is what it says. BLM, Black Lives Matter, but so does yours. Thank you for your service. Breakfast paid. If you want to see the miracle, you got to be the miracle. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, dear children, don't just talk about love. Put your love into action. Then it will truly be love. What's the step of faith that you can take? What I can do may look different than what you can do, but all of us can say, take some kind of step, put it in the hands of God like Rosa Parks did, politely refusing and keeping her seat. You never know the power of a seat when you put it in the hands of a Mount movie God. It may just change the course of history. Let me pray with you. If you've never received Jesus as your savior, say this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my savior. I make you Lord of my life. I put you in charge. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for loving me like you do and making me a part of your family. And then Jesus we ask for all of us that you would take this broken world that we live in and somehow through your grace and your mercy and your love and your justice, you would help us to move forward and to see the division overcome. God, we believe that all things are possible with you that we could see more heaven here on earth. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, amen. Here's a presentation from a Bay Area dance team, AOV. Feel real good 
gonna make a difference, gonna make it right. As I turned up the collarbone, my favorite winter coat, this wind is blowing my mind. I see the kids in the street, but not enough to eat. Who am I to be blind, pretending not to see them? I want to see the miracle, I've got to be the miracle. It starts with me. I, I really believe one of the reasons Cathedral, we are who we are, is to be a testimony in this community of what Jesus can do in bringing people together. Cathedral really is a miracle when you think about it. Uh, at our international week, and we had people from 60 different countries that are a part of our church. They were born in 60 different countries. And now here we are worshiping together. It's a little taste of heaven right here on earth. And it can be a powerful testimony in a world that's looking for answers. So cathedral, if we want to see the miracle, let's be the miracle together. Let's speak God's blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine brightly upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.